Good morning. It's good to have you here with us. My name is Russ. I'm one of the pastors here at New Community. And uh, I want to take a moment just to welcome you. And uh, what I have for us this morning before we get into the talk is a plethora of announcements. You know, uh, I don't want to make that many, but today we do have a few uh, that I want you to be aware of. The first one is this. We have small group leader training coming up. Um, last night, I had a chance to gather with a small group I'm a part of and just get to hang out and have dinner together and to, uh, to laugh and enjoy each other. It was just an amazing reminder of the power of community and the importance that community has to kind of reframe the way we think, uh, to enliven our soul, to allow us to be shaped and challenged by one another. And last night did that. Um, the next two Sundays... On the 21st and 28th, immediately following the service, we're going to kind of uh, meander into the chapel. So if you're a current small group leader or facilitator, uh, somebody who's interested in leading group or facilitating group, somebody who's interested maybe even in just learning more about groups or are curious about what it would be like to lead a group, we would love to have you come. There'll be snacks and um, drinks provided, and that's Again, immediately following the service on the 21st and 28th. Just a little reminder for those of you who are maybe new to the community. Uh, that announcement is really, it's not Newcom's mission to try to get more people involved in more church programs, right? It's Newcom's mission to get more of the church, the people, to engage in the work of God in the world. That's what we want to do. We actually think small groups is a, a significant part of facilitating that. Second announcement is this, coming up September 13th and the following four Tuesday nights in the evening, there is a short called Parenting After, I would even say, slash During Deconstruction. All right, so this fall, uh, September 13th, four weeks, Tuesday night, Parenting After Deconstruction. So many of you might be asking, what does that even look like or what does that mean? I would suggest this, we are all in the process of reforming our faith, whether we know it or not. Whether we're aware of it, we are always kind of altering our understanding about who God is, how God relates to us in the world, what our calling is as the people of God. And this is an opportunity to kind of wrestle with what does that look like for me, specifically as it re relates to the way that I raise children. Um, I know there's a lot of complexity in parenting regardless, but when you add into it shifting faith and trying to figure out what are the aspects of my faith, faith I want to pass on to my kids, what are the aspects that I want to like help them reframe in a new and fresh way, and what are the aspects of faith that maybe just need to find their way to the trash bin and we can be done with those aspects of religion, and so this is designed to kind of help with uh, that. So again, September 13th in the evening on Tuesdays, following four weeks, highly encourage you. You can go to uh, the website forward slash shorts, and I think you should be able to find it there. Our next announcement, if you were here uh, at the start of service, there was a little video that played. Uh, I don't know if the sound was totally working on it, but Mayor's going to come and give us a little announcement about Awima, Awima is uh, one of the organizations uh, that we're partnering with and have done some work with. And uh, he's going to share for a couple moments now. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> well, thank you very much, yeah. Ross. Well, it's my pleasure to be here among you. I consider it my second chair. My first one is in Egypt. We live, I live with Violet, uh, my, uh, my wife, in Cairo, Egypt, uh, leading a ministry called the Arab World Evangelical Ministers Association. We began our ministry 36 years ago uh, with a vision to join hands. Uh, I'm talking about the Arab Christians uh, from 22 Arab countries to join hands together and to serve our area. Our area is the Middle East and North Africa, which is the most unreached area in the world. We are a small minority of Christians living among a very big min uh, majority of Muslims. And uh, God gave us the privilege to serve our people. Uh, is there any chance for the video or? So I don't need to, I don't need to explain more, right? <laughs> OK. Uh, well, uh, we have the pleasure to be here among you, uh, and uh, we are grateful to the church, uh, Ross and his team, and uh, my family here, my American part of the family, uh, Amir and Kelly, who are part of the church, uh, Joy and Benjamin and Asher. Our grandchildren, we still have two in Egypt, in fact, so we'll be back very soon. Uh, this is our family. Sorry that we don't have dog, but maybe later on we can have it just to be Americans, you know. But in Egypt, well, we don't have a lot of dogs there. Uh, we have camels anyway. <laughs> so uh, we, uh, we are really, as Awima, we are grateful for to the church. Uh, who are helping and supporting us in many ways. Uh, last year, you helped in the medical team uh, coming to Egypt to serve poor people. Uh, this year, you helped in our uh, uh, theological uh, training. We bring leaders coming from the underground churches, all of them coming from a Muslim background, keep them for six months for theological training and send them back. And uh, you as a church helped us in that. And we're still talking about more cooperation. Uh, so just keep praying for, uh, for us. And maybe sometime you'll be able to come and visit, maybe with Kelly and the medical team, or sometime else. You are welcome to come as uh, missionaries. You are welcome to come as a tourist, even. And I promise you that you will find good, active church and we're still seeking for more cooperation with the church. Thank you again, and God bless you. Thank you. Uh, as you heard, we have uh, partnered in several different ways. Uh, a team went over uh, recently. A team is planning to go over medical team in, uh, I believe, October. Is that right, Amir? Yeah. And then... Um, Theological education has been really a, a desire of ours to partner with them for a while, and so recently we're able to do that. We're talking about sports ministry, a bunch of other things, so feel free to jump down and connect with them after service. They'd love to talk more about the incredible work they're doing in Egypt and all of the Middle East. Um, two other kind of like family matters right before we jump into the teaching. Um, so the first being this. 
there has been, uh, for a little bit of time, growing complexity uh, around this corner of 3rd and Howard and a lot of our friends uh, that find themselves on the streets. So this week alone, we've had quite a few incidents. Um, Chris, who is a guy that regularly comes and has breakfast here at the church community, um, was recently arrested for dealing meth on the corner. Uh, there have been a couple other arrests here this week, uh, this morning. Um, we were unaware of uh, like a, a police sweep, but that came through earlier this morning. Um, kind of making an arrest in the back, moving people on, uh, about 10 or so people that had spent the night on the property. Um, this has been a significant area of concern, but of deep compassion. And so we are in this unique space where we're trying to figure out how do we love people well? How do we care for our friends? Uh, how do we do that and at the same time set boundaries related to safety? And uh, so... My main ask is just, would you pray with us in that? Would you help us to think through how best to uh, care for and love and support and feed and uh, befriend people um, and to do that in a way that uh, kind of honors uh, the, the city as well? Uh, this week, the police came in and had an hour kind of debrief time with the staff, kind of talking about some of the complexity of their role um, and uh, how they're trying to support what is happening as well. So, as you know, these can be really challenging um, kind of conversations. So please join us in prayer, and uh, we'll continue to update you as things um, kind of move forward, but um, in, the, in the short term, just uh, keep being aware of uh, what's going on and just making you aware of that. Um, last but not least, I mentioned it last week, but I'm heading out on sabbatical this fall. I will leave uh, last Sunday in August is my last Sunday. I'll be gone until Advent. Um, this has been planned for the last seven or eight years, and so it's kind of coming to fruition. Um, excited about the opportunity to be away, saddened at the same time because I love being a part of the community and engaging with you each week in faith and in an expression of faith. Uh, so be praying. We are stepping away for rest, renewal, restoration, kind of uh, times of reflection. And uh, I think it will be really profitable for us. It was last time we did this, uh, a little over seven years ago. And so uh, next week we'll talk a little bit more about what the fall looks like in terms of teaching and schedule and added responsibilities to staff and maybe even ways you could volunteer and plug in to, to help alleviate uh, the fact that I'll be stepping away. So just wanted to make you aware of that. We're kind of announcing it each week because um, depending on whether you're here or not, you might all of a sudden some Sunday come and be like, where did Russ go and what happened? And then there's conspiracy theories and all kinds of things. And so we're just avoiding all that. Um, anyhow, uh, let me transition to the reading of Scripture, and then we will enter into uh, our time in the Word this morning. Comes from uh, the book of Proverbs. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. 
He who is slow to anger is better than a mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause, or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Thanks. Um, any guesses on our theme in the book of Proverbs this morning? We are talking about the subject of anger. Now, the beauty of uh, focusing on one particular theme in the book of Proverbs as we're walking through wisdom literature is it allows you to kind of focus in on something specifically and uh, seek to address it, make it as practical for kingdom and community living as possible. One of the downsides is then the temptation, especially the temptation on my part, to cover all things anger, to fit as much in to the lesson as possible, uh, to drill deep into this particular subject. So I've made the intentional decision to do the best that I can not to do that, but rather to focus on three primary things. One being the warning that Proverbs seems to offer to us on a consistent basis. Some wisdom that is a part of uh, what the Proverbs wants to impart to us, and then maybe discuss a little bit of a way forward. So warning, wisdom, and way forward is kind of the focus of this morning. I'm going to start with the warning. And the warning really is from Proverbs is that anger destroys, especially when disordered. So anger destroys, especially when disordered. Uh, this idea of anger destroying really is that anger is as the Proverbs kind of indicates, the dynamite of the human soul. There is something that happens when anger is aroused. And uh, it disintegrates. I'm going to suggest three things that it disintegrates. It disintegrates community. What I mean by that is that anger can create division. It can create uh, animosity. It can create brokenness within a community of people. So if we allow anger to kind of uh, be imparted from us, there is a good chance that what will be disintegrated or destroyed in the process is community. A second idea is your wisdom or ability to make smart choices. That anger, in, in a way, creates this pattern of decision-making that becomes destructive. This pattern of decision-making that leads you to an overwhelming lack of of wisdom. Your actions, your decisions are reactionary rather than well thought out. The third way that I think anger and Proverbs describes it being something that's destructive is it's destructive even to your very body. So anger has been medically proven to be destructive to your very personhood, that your soul, your spirit, your body in some way is being destroyed or eaten alive kind of from the inside 
when anger takes hold or remains a part of your consistent life. Now, when you think of anger, I would imagine most people, their instant reaction is to think of like anger as rage, which we'll talk about in a moment. But anger is much more like subversive and interesting and complicated than that. Anger is not just rage. I'll give you a few other words that might describe what we're getting after this morning. Anger is also indignation, maliciousness, revenge, belligerence, envy, hatred, abusiveness, resentment, frustration, irony even, cynicism, contempt, stubbornness, impatience, irritability, we'll keep going, harshness, grumpiness, sulkiness, detachment, all of these things that I just read are expressed outwardly, but we also know that anger kind of infuses the very being. And so it comes up in feelings of unworthiness, in issues of shame or self-punishment, even leading to depression, that all of these things kind of are contained in our bodies. And that's why anger can even destroy the human soul. So right away, Proverbs, even as you looked at the verses that were on the screen earlier, it really speaks to this idea that anger can destroy. But anger can destroy, especially when it's disordered. Now, what I mean by that is anger has a way of being disproportionate or inappropriate to its particular cause. That's when it becomes disordered, all right? So I'll give you a couple ways in which it becomes disordered. It becomes disordered in proportion, okay? What I mean by that, this is what we usually think of when we think of anger. We think of the uncontrollable, that, that rage, that inability to be uh, like contained or subdued or quenched. It's that like explosive nature. And oftentimes it's not equal to the situation. So you have something that kind of like lights the fire and then there's, it's disproportionate, okay? Second way that it's disordered is often in length. What I mean by that is this. If you were to ask me years ago if I was a person of anger, I would probably quickly say no. Not at all. It's not a part of my nature. Um, it's not the way that I feel like I have lived for the most part. Because what I think of when I think of anger is usually like somebody punching a wall, kicking something, throwing over something, um, doing something that's like outward, aggressive, filled with anger. And that's not usually the way I respond. Um, but I wasn't really factoring in this idea that anger is also resentment, that it is also this Resentment being like a bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. And then if you were to ask me, well, do you have that? I would go, oh, for sure, right? That there are all kinds of ways that I struggle with injustice. Seeing it happen in other people's lives, but seeing it happen in my life or perceived injustice. Or a lack of forgiveness, or the fact that it might smolder within you where you just want to see something done about a particular situation or a particular person and it lingers and lingers. That's what it means to be disproportionate in length. Last, it could be disproportionate in its goal. 
What I mean by that is that loving anger or appropriate anger is really seeking to deal with an issue or a concern in a precise way. So here's the problem, and I'll do everything I can to precisely take care of it. A disproportionate or a disordered anger would be like, there's a problem, I'm just going to chuck the grenade in and let it explode, and then they can pick up the pieces, right? Another way to maybe even think about it is through the lens of loving anger is trying to solve the problem. Disordered anger is trying to go after the person. So there's a big difference between the two. Going after the problem to fix the problem, to create justice, to deal with a particular situation, to protect someone is way different than going after the person. So as you can see, Proverbs throughout the book is describing both the destructive nature and the disordered nature of anger. But Proverbs also goes into and tries to describe what it looks like to walk into anger with wisdom. And the passage I want us to specifically look at this morning is found in Proverbs 16, verse 32. It says this, He or she who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he or she who rules their spirit than they who capture a city. All right? Slow to anger, better than the mighty. Rule your spirit better than capturing a city. There's two basic ideas found in this one proverb. The first being slow to anger. It says it's better to be slow to anger, and that is better than the mighty. Now, you may not have heard this in your religious upbringing, the church you've attended, uh, or even from your home, but the ideal is not necessarily no anger or blow-up anger. The ideal is slow anger. Slow, thoughtful, measured, loving anger, right? So it's not to say uh, that there should be no angry, no anger at all. It's certainly, I think most people would say, well, if somebody blows up in anger, not good, sin, right? I think the other thing we could say in light of what the text is communicating is that wisdom would suggest it's also a sin to never get angry. So it's a both and. So maybe Ephesians 4 kind of speaks into that when it describes to be angry but sin not. It's an imperative in the text. Not saying that you will not be angry, but you should be angry sometimes. There's occasion for it. And it can be helpful. This might be summarized best by this particular quote. He that is angry without cause sins. He that is not angry when there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. You can add into this this same idea that God himself, the text tells us, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. So even this quality of being slow to anger is a quality that God, God's self in, embodies in a particular way. So when culture speaks of anger, some cultures speak of it as this idea of repressing anger. Others speak about expressing anger. But I think the biblical illustration that often is being described in the book of Proverbs and throughout the New Testament is this approach 
to understanding both the goodness of anger at times, as well as the destructive power or destructive nature of anger at other times. So it's finding the in-between, this third way, this space that allows us to use anger in a constructive or positive way. The second part of that proverb is this idea that he who rules his spirit is better than he who captures a city. Many of us are familiar from the time we were little about the fruit of the spirit, right? The spirit of the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now there's several ways to look at this particular passage. Some people look at it from the lens of that it's the fruit of the Spirit, so it's not plural. Meaning you can't suggest that it's okay to be joyful and have peace, peace or sometimes be patient, but it's okay if you're not quite self-controlled or faithful. It's like an all or one. It's a singular fruit rather than multiple fruits, if that makes sense. Another way of looking at it, some suggest that each of the qualities builds on the other quality. So you have love, which produces joy. And then as you exhibit joy, that leads to this peace that you have. That peace naturally results in patience with people. That patience expresses itself in kindness. You see how this goes, right? And then if that's the case, the overwhelming and maybe best or highest way of expressing the fruit of the Spirit would be self-control. No matter how you look at this particular verse, the big idea is that controlling our spirit or ruling our spirit is of deep, deep importance. So what I want to do this morning is to focus the rest of our time not on the problem, the warning, the wisdom, but really to look at what is the way forward. If anger has been a part of your life, if even as you're sitting here and thinking about the way you respond to situations to people, that you start realizing like there may be some resentment, some lack of forgiveness, some struggle, then this might be a way forward. The first way I would suggest to move forward is to assess your relationship with anger. And I want to give you a little bit of a kind of like an inventory. So if you have a uh, sheet of paper or whatever, as the questions come up, you can just make a little mark or answer yes or no, or figure out a way in which to best answer these particular questions to take a little internal evaluation or inventory of where you're at with this idea of anger. First question is this, do you take offense easily? Do you take offense easily? Now a person that doesn't take offense easily is someone that uh, may be described as strong in self-esteem, certain of their mission, settled in their inner spirit, not easily offended. Okay? Second question. Do you receive criticism well without feeling you have to defend yourself? Do you receive criticism well without feeling the need to defend yourself? Now, I will say that I have yet to meet a person who enjoys being criticized. I'll make that clear right from the beginning. Um, and yet, if you've lived any length of life, you realize that it is in some ways a constant in life. The criticism comes, for many even, on a daily basis. 
this idea of pushback, this idea of someone suggesting maybe the way you did it isn't as good as the way someone else has done it. Or some generations saying to other generations, man, the way your generation did things is not as good as the way we do things. There are all these tensions related to criticism. But the question is, can you receive it in a way that does not um, result in you feeling the necessity to defend yourself? If so, then perhaps you are ruling your spirit or being self-controlled. I would say I would go a step further with this idea and also suggest that it isn't just criticisms. It might also be false narratives that are described. What I mean by that is simply this, that you've had an experience, someone else has had the exact same experience as you. Your versions of the story are wildly different. And yet, can you allow their version of the story to be expressed in a way that does not find yourself having to try to chase down that version of the story, fix it, control it? If so, then maybe you are in this space where you're controlling your spirit. Third question, do you choose your words carefully? Do you choose your words carefully? So the person who takes time to consider what they're about to say and speaks wisely tends to be a person in control of their spirit. And one of the ways that you may not see this show up or you may see this show up is when you or myself or others tend to make an excuse or brag about their inability to control their words. What I mean by that is somebody who says whatever they want off the cuff and then responds with, well, that's just who I am. I'm just expressing myself the way that I express myself. But where really what that is is somebody choosing to be a particular way. So the question is, do you choose your words carefully? I'll give you a couple more. Uh, can you do good without the need to mention it to anyone? Can you do good without the need to mention it to anyone? Now, you might be saying, how does this relate to anger or how does this relate to self-control? When others get credit for what you did, it often kind of ignites something inside where you begin to say, man, that's unfair. I should have been recognized for that. Or they had no part in that, and yet they're uh, receiving credit for it, right? Um, so how does that sit with your spirit? How does that, what kind of impression does that leave? Are you okay with subtly becoming invisible at work because somebody else is taking credit for it? Often, again, this leads to tension, anger, resentment, frustration, um, but it can be met with self-control. Two more. Are you able to respond to a harsh put-down with gentleness? The text speaks to this idea when it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Are you able to respond to a harsh put-down with gentleness? Maybe even in your mind you can think of one recently. How was your response? Maybe it was something on social media. Maybe it was a colleague, a coworker, a boss. How did you respond? Last, 
Are you able to choose the harder tasks or push through challenges rather than give in to the path of least resistance? And again, you might ask, why, why did you include this one or how does this fit into this idea of anger? I would suggest that it seems to be a trait of those who rule their spirit to be able to push through something, to push through a challenge, to seek out a difficult person in order to make peace, to give generously when they'd rather indulge themselves. These are all actions that indicate that a person may be someone who's able to control their spirit. And those who can control their spirit can begin to wrestle with this idea of anger. Which leads to the final aspect this morning, and that is, how do you actually heal from anger? If anger has been a part of your life, if it's been something that kind of has resided in who you are as a person, how do you seek healing as it relates to this concept of anger? The first suggestion would be to acknowledge any anger, to acknowledge it, to admit it, to say that it's present, to be aware of it. And that awareness itself is a significant act of vulnerability. The refusal to do this really prohibits reconciliation. You've got to start somewhere, and where you start is to just acknowledge that the anger is present. Second idea would be to analyze the anger, to really examine it, to consider it. Now, this is where um, you have to treat anger more or less as a, a gateway to discovery. Instead of just saying, okay, I have anger, I blew up, or I have resentment, I have frustration, asking the question why, like feeling that and then figuring out why, then it becomes a gateway to learning, growth, development, or as church words, it would be like towards spiritual formation or toward greater awareness of walking in the way of the spirit, right? It is this ability to say, I see the thing present and I want to figure out what it actually means for me. And here's a couple examples of what that might look like. The anger is symptomatic, typically, of something, and it could lead to profound realization if what you realize is that maybe you're defending something. So it's less about what you lost and more about what you're protecting or defending. For example, sometimes we protect or defend our ego, our self-esteem, our identity, our recognition. If those are things we're defending, then it becomes obvious the motivations or the desires or the idols that are present in our life. Another way of looking at it would be to recognize if it creates a awareness of a deeper felt need. So sometimes as you examine anger, you realize that the anger is there because of a lack of connection or lack of intimacy, lack of community. The list could go on and on. So it's a gateway to examine. So first you acknowledge it, second you analyze it, third you don't let it linger. Don't let anger linger. Now if you allow it to linger, then it morphs 
in this unique way into bitterness. And it begins to grow in its impact. You may have even heard this old adage before, but roots become shoots, become trees, become forests. Have you heard that phrase? Roots become shoots, become trees, become forests. Okay, if you've spent any time in a garden, it feels like there are constantly weeds. But in our life, if we allow the weed to begin to grow and to begin to develop, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger if it's undealt with. So don't let it linger. Instead, practice the virtue that's in opposition to the vice. Figure out a way to respond differently, which would be this last idea, to transform your anger. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 5. He says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This idea I love it because what it is communicating, at least at the end, <clears throat> is that God's grace, his generosity, his provision is both to the just and to the unjust. Those who are deserving and even those that may feel undeserving, God is generous and demonstrates grace to any and all. It has to be something we think about on a regular basis. But the question is, are we the kind of people that can follow the example of Jesus and can allow his grace to transform us in a way that we can then pass on that compassion, that generosity, that kindness? I want to end with this quote by Brennan Manning. Uh, Manning is uh, a really interesting individual who um, I think understands in a way that's pretty unique this indiscriminate, compassionate, overwhelming love that God has for each and every one of us. When we don't feel it, when we don't feel like we deserve it, on our worst moments, there's this reminder that none of that matters because of love. And he makes this statement related to compassion that I think is worth examining. The insistence on the absolutely indiscriminate nature of compassion within the kingdom is the dominant perspective of almost all of Jesus' teaching. Quoting another author, he says this, What is indiscriminate compassion? Take a look at a rose. Is it possible for the rose to say, I'll offer my fragrance to good people and withhold it from bad people? Or can you imagine a lamp that withholds its rays from a wicked person who seeks to walk in its light? It could do that only by ceasing to be a lamp. And observe how helplessly and indiscriminately a tree gives its shade to everyone, good and bad, young and old, high and low, to animals and humans and every living creature, even to the one who seeks to cut it down. This is the first quality of compassion. It's indiscriminate character. Manning then goes on to say, what makes the kingdom come 
is heartfelt compassion. It's my reminder to us this morning from the book of Proverbs that the very same grace and compassion that God has given to us is our opportunity to extend that to others. I want to invite us to pray this morning, and then uh, in a moment we will stand for the benediction. Father, you have invited us into this space this morning uh, with a desire not only to connect in community, but to be reminded of your word, to be reminded of wisdom, and specifically as it relates to anger. And there are times in each and every one of our lives where we feel controlled, consumed, frustrated by deep anger, resentment, pain, loss. And God, into that, it would be easy for us to think of ourselves as better than someone else who expresses that anger, maybe differently even than we do. And yet what you want to remind us of this morning and even reminded us through communion is that uh, we come to you in deep need and we ask for you to bring about change. God, we ask that the way we exhibit our life and our love to those around us would model and mirror the way that you have loved us. This indiscriminate compassion, this overwhelming love for us May we take that and pass it to those that we come in contact with. And may that be life-altering. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me for the benediction? Before I give the benediction, just one quick reminder. Um, We are in transitioning some things with the youth group. And if you are a parent of a kid in youth group or are interested in being a youth leader in any capacity, want to work with youth, I would love to meet with you for about five or 10 minutes after service. We'll talk a little bit about the vision for youth group for this fall, kind of what we're dreaming about as a community. We'll talk about that this Sunday. If you've got to run afterwards, don't worry. Next Sunday, there'll be another opportunity uh, to hang out for a few minutes afterwards and talk about vision with youth. Let's pray. New community, may the Lord bless you through the smile of a stranger. May the Lord keep you strong in the face of difficulty. May the Lord make your face shine upon you so brightly that all may see your hope. May we celebrate God's good and gracious love. May God lift us up through the words of those around us. And may God give us peace and a steadiness of spirit. With thanks and praise, we pray in the name of the Holy One who endures, who empowers, who enjoys. Amen. Be blessed and have a great week.